Well, it's good to be back again. Let's open in prayer and uh, get started on this morning. Lord, thank you for uh, the way you've designed every single day of our lives, and, and you've known it ahead of time, and, and you have a plan. I pray that we, uh, we make our plans in accord with your will, that we choose to do things that, uh, that mimic what your word says to do, that we have our lives more and more in conformity to who you are, so that uh, that day when we are with you, it will be a great joy and uh, won't be as, as drastic of a shock of, of our lives or more in tune with your will. God, I pray that this morning is, is one that we, uh, we can learn from. For those with uh, really young kids or those without kids, uh, this would be a time that they can pack away in their brain and remember, uh, even though it would be a while till, we, till they may have to deal with the teens. But uh, I pray for each teen that is represented in this room. I pray for the, uh, the hearts of, uh, of them and the hearts of their parents as that process is, uh, is put to test before your word. And I pray that would be the case, that uh, you would get glory because of it, that uh, what we hear and what we learn today would be such that uh, it causes us to, to love you more and causes our teens to do the same. We, we thank you for a chance to be even involved in affecting lives in such a way as this. May, uh, may I speak truth in your name. Amen. Well, this is a fun one we've been waiting for for a while, talking about teens. And uh, really, teenage rebellion is something that uh, I figured I'd start off kind of talking about because we've heard so much about it, um, where there's an expectation of, of what teens are going to be like. You know, when your kids are one or two, you hear this, oh, wait till they're three, wait till they're four, wait till they're six, wait till, oh, wait till they're teens. That's when it's really going to get tough. And here's what your expectations are. There's no way to, to stop it. Um, there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, issues that you're going to be dealing with that uh, you haven't earlier. Well, we raised our six kids under the complete assumption that they would not go wayward during their teen years. We did not have that expectation. And not that we thought we had perfect kids. We were raising these, you know, kids were going to be perfect teenagers at all. But we believe that teenage rebellion is a Western phenomenon, really, in the last 50 to 60 years. It's not something that has been a core part of culture um, historically. Um, we've been also fed the line that uh, it's, it's hormone, hormonal. The hormones are kicking in, and that's why you're getting this. But if you look at other cultures across the world, you don't have that. It's a Western phenomenon that's happened. If it was something that was a hormonal deal, then everyone's kids would deal with it. You'd, you'd, every child would be going through this and, and they're, because it's just uh, dictated by those things. The hormones actually in the endocrine system begin at age 7, not at age 12. So there's, it's going on all the time. And I've had emotional 7-year-old daughters. And I can tell you, they're very different. You notice something's going on in this kid. Um, but glands do not affect attitudes of the heart. We, we can notice that, that that's not what drives uh, the heart. Um, there's other things that are going on. So really, um, I want to talk about application of biblical principles uh, such as sowing and reaping. We're going to get into that concept in a little while. So, you know, we sow certain things. We're going to have expectations reaping us certain, certain things. Um, we praise God, Kathy and I do, that we had some biblical example of some parents who had been through it, and we just latched onto them and watched what they did and, and listened to them and, uh, and learned from them um, and they never had teenage rebellion. There was no yelling in their house, yelling at each other, yelling at their parents. There was no um, discarding of biblical principles that were taught. All of a sudden, they got a certain age, and they threw them out. Um, there was no uh, fits of rage or running away from home. None of that occurred. No I hate you comments or doors slammed. There was none of that in this family. We said, wow, that's something that we want to see in our family. We, we, want to, and we live very close with them, so we, we know that. We made that a goal of our family. 
Um, one of my mentors, Gary Ezzo, he said, quote, parents are much more likely to struggle with teenage rebellion if they place a greater emphasis on self-oriented self-esteem training in the early years. That's in- interesting. Or in the early years is when this starts. Believing this is the key to all later behavior. If you go and put everything in track, this self-esteem and how good things are, um, you're not going to have this, this turning away. That's one of the things that are going on in life. He says that is parents who place a greater emphasis on how a child feels rather than how he acts experiences the greater percentage of teen parent conflicts. It's not right feelings that lead to right behavior, as self-esteem advocates purport. Instead, right behavior, which stems from right motives, is the genesis of right feelings. I'll kind of walk through that again. Not right feelings that lead to right behavior. So it's not because a child feels a certain way that they're going to do a certain thing. It's not about their feelings. He says it's, uh, instead it's the right behavior, or us really, it's the right heart. Starting with the right motives of the heart is what's going to drive the right behavior, and uh, that's going to be the right motive. To, and then uh, because of that, we have the right feeling. It's kind of like the verses we talked about of the conscience. So what it does is affirming or confirming what you've done right or wrong because you, it was the right thing. And they'll feel good because, ah, I chose wisely here. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, you see, if you feed them on how good they are all their life, and then they get to their teen years and they find out that, oh, you know, I, I, I can't have everything I want. I've got conflict now with friends that have differing things than me, or I want to do something. My parents all of a sudden say no because I can't be my own judge. They're going to have a great difficulty dealing with this reality at that age. The world does not revolve around them. So you start a little one-year-old, and you, you know, everything revolves around them. You're doing everything for them, and yes, my little center of the universe, and you, you deal with them in that way. Suddenly, all of a sudden, there's conflict, and they're not the center of the universe. How do you flip that? You can't. It's hard. Biblically, we look at Isaiah 5.21. It's a great verse for this. It says, Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. I mean, that's exactly what happens. Kids feel that they are wise in their own eyes. They are smarter than their parents, and you get that all the time. Uh, that even shows up in the, but dad, you know, when you tell them to do something, but, because they've got something in their brain that's smarter than you, because you and your infinite wisdom living 32 years don't have as much wisdom as they do at 14 years old, of course. In their hearts, they believe they're right, and they must assert their own feelings to, uh, to ensure it, and so that's their feelings come out. And, how greatly this differs from the model that we're trying to work on here to get them to pursue godliness. Well, there's uh, three foundations of life that I want to kind of walk you through three different areas. Proverbs 1 is a great section that uh, you can use to start this conversation, really, with your teens. So uh, we're going to talk next week about if you haven't been parenting at a level that we've talked about, okay, how do we lay the foundation now in a teen or in an older kid to to move forward and to uh, to flip that? But uh, assuming that we're heading in the right direction, uh, we want to just take Proverbs 1 and walk through this. Really starting in verse 7 uh, all the way through 19. And I'll, I'll go through some of this. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, right there at the beginning, the fear of the Lord. A teen who understands the fear of God is going to be delivered from danger. You know, that's going outside that circle of blessing. If they recognize that if I don't fear God, I am outside of God's blessing, I may, it may not go well with me and I may not live long. So teaching them the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You want to be smart, kid, when you grow up? You want to be wise? This is where it starts, fearing the Lord. It's not having the street smarts. It's not you knowing, knowing all the stats for baseball for uh, certain players. No, it's the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge here. That's where we start with that circle of blessing. Um, 
Then verse 8 and 9, My son, hear the instructions of your father. Do not forsake the law of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. This is adherence to parental instruction. I mean, it says right there, kids, look, if you, if you listen to your parents, it's going to be a good thing with you. They need to understand the value of this, of, of listening to you and listening to what God says through you. And this is your manual. You, you tell them, this is where I'm starting, kids, and, and it's a great place for me to, to walk through this. Um, again, walking them through the circle of blessing there, how you're that advocate to bring them into uh, a rescue mission, really. Um, and this is uh, uh, straight from the, the Ten Commandments, number five, you know, honor your father and mother. So there's a foundation for this. The context also of teaching this is Deuteronomy 6. We've talked about it. It's not just when you're in a time of conflict and your kid has just yelled and screamed at you and slammed the doors and said he, they hate you, and all of a sudden you're going to deal with this. No, this is all the time is when you're sitting them down with the Bible and talking to them. This is while you're sitting at the dinner table. This is while you're driving down the road. This is the times of non-conflict. Deuteronomy 6 talks about making this a part of your life. And you make it part of your um, time in the Word as a family, uh, family worship. I mean, set some times to do that. That's the, the part of doing that, taking time. Maybe it's not every day. You can't do that realistically. A couple days a week. Okay, Tuesday nights and Thursday nights. Kids, we're going to just open up the Bible and we're going we're gonna to read. Or Dad's going to read through Pilgrim's Progress and we're going to whatever. However you start that process, start it early, start it often, and then make it be a time that they're looking, Dad, aren't we going to read such and such tonight? That's really neat when they start anticipating but you need to have these, these conversations with them. You need to give the parental instruction is what it says here. My son, hear the instructions of your father. Dad, you've got to be instructing. And it says uh, how it will be an ornament around your, your neck, kind of like the Olympics. Oh, there's a good thing. This will be an ornament around your neck, chains around your ornament around your head, chains around your neck. That's basically very similar to these Olympians. People are looking, man, look at this guy. and Gold medal, what they did. Well, they're getting honor. You want to get honor? Here's what the Bible says, the right way to do that. Um, next verse uh, 10 through 19 my son if sinners entice you do not consent if they say come with us let us lie in wait to shed blood let us lurk secretly in the innocent with, for the innocent without cause let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit we shall find all kinds of precious possessions we shall fill our houses with spoil cast in your lots among us let us have one purse my son do not walk in the way with them keep your foot from their path For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. I mean, just walk right through these things. It's great. You're going to be teaching wisdom and discernment. So this is our job, is to help them to discern ahead of time what is right, what is wrong, and how they need to act in the world. Hopefully you start at a real early age, but by the teenage, this is going to be really critical to walk through this stuff. First section there on verse, uh, a couple of verses, disassoci- disassociation from the wicked. Well, take some time to talk about choosing friends. We choose our friends wisely. You know, I don't think it's good for you to hang around that guy because his character just doesn't show a good appreciation for the, for the things of the Lord. And that will help them see where they need to uh, um, make their choices there. Uh, we talked about that last week in the ages 6 to 12. I mean, that's when they're choosing their friends, isn't it? And so helping them choose those friends wisely starts there. It tells us why our children are t- attracted to the wicked here. It says they want to belong with them. Come, be with us. Be a part of our team. Be, you know, have our hair look. 
that's why these kids go off and you know get the whole goth look and the spikes all over themselves and you know the, the whatever hanging out of their lips or you know this, they do that because they want to associate with others who are like-minded and they feel like they belong. Well, if they feel like they belong in your family, they feel like they belong as a part of it and they understand their position in your family, they're going to want that. They don't need to have, I, I don't need to look like these other people to be, feel like I'm a part of their in group. That's what they want. It says right here, come be with us and, and we're going to do all this together. Um, young people um, do not run from, place, from places they are unconditionally loved. So if there's a love for them that says, I love you, son, I love you, daughter, unconditionally, and and I want to choose what's best for you, and that's part of that understanding of the rescue mission when they're out of of that uh, circle of blessing. I am doing this because I love you. They understand that better. Uh, That helps them. They won't run from a place like that. Uh, When we talked about Father's Mandate, that whole lesson on on dads, guys, they are going to appreciate you better and understand your love for them if you're doing some of those things. Uh, home should be a place where the teen is understood, listened to, loved, encouraged, and shown the paths of life. Sometimes we don't do enough of those things. Show them the paths of life. So here's, son, here, daughter, here's some ways that we should be going in direction. The Word of God says this. It, it makes it real easy in that respect. Okay, so that kind of lays a little foundation there in Proverbs. Um, I want to talk about ways that you can keep the gospel central. Uh, really, how do we do this in times of discipline? How, how can you make the gospel a part of this whole thing? And i got some steps here to, uh, to do this because it, it just takes us back through things that we've learned in the last 14 weeks. So first step is to discern the heart issues. Discern the heart issues. We need to look to see what is it in that heart. When we had the, our little chart here, we, we see the heart that's doing something, some ungodly behavior. We need to discern the issues of the heart in there to understand what's going on. When a particular event occurs, you don't focus on the debate of, of what all is going on there. He said, she said, whatever you're doing, who had it first. Um, you're acting as a peer when you get down on their level to do that. Instead, what is it in your heart that's doing this? Focus on the heart issues. And teens, you can ask these questions, and they're going to come up with them. And don't just take a, mm, or I don't know. You know ask probing questions. You know, why did you go and uh, steal something at the grocery store? You know, the, let's just say they did that. They, they've never done this before. All of a sudden, they, for some reason, you can find out they stole something at the store. So why did, what was in your heart that, that made you want to do that? You, you have money at home, and, and, and what, would, what would it be? And you might find in their heart that it's their peers. Their peers are telling them of things that they did, and here, I want to try something like that. You want to find out what's on that heart issue, and it might be a um, really trying to um, fit in with their friends rather than a, a specifically recognizing what's going on in their heart. Um, Luke 6 and Proverbs 4 are the places to go here. Um, using these areas, Proverbs 4, it's just there's so much in there about wisdom um, and where we make wise choices. Uh, that's where keep your heart with all diligence for out of it springs the issues of life. That's where that is. And that's a great place to, this is what's springing out of your life. And we're watching your heart and this is what's going on. It's not that they don't have a proper quota of Bible time. You need to go in your room and, and read your Bible because they're going to resent that. You know, if that's where you start pushing them to. That has to come out of their heart um, of what is it in your heart that is not wanting to do right. So discern that heart issues first. Second step is to use scripture that address the issues at hand. So use, use scripture. That's what's going to be really what God has designed for this. To do this effectively, though, you've got to know scripture yourself. 
and it just keeps coming back to your own life. This is a parenting class about you, not about your kids. And uh, if you haven't figured that out by week 14, I guess I can tell you. It's been secret the whole time. Um, You've got to know the scriptures. And this is you putting it on the, those shelves in their heart, but it also comes at yours at the same time as you're looking at this. You need to develop a mental concordance in your brain of certain verses, certain places where you can turn to continually to apply God's word to the life situations as your kids are running. Okay, what's a verse? And you may have the same ones that you keep bringing up all the time. That's okay. They're going to understand those things. These are items on the shelves of the warehouse that we're trying to put in their conscience. Open the Bible and read it with them. And I love to start with Proverbs. It makes it so easy to read with them because there's 31 chapters, and there so happens to be 31 days in the month. So what day of the month is it? Oh, okay, today's the 18th. Let's read Proverbs 18 today, kids. And so you start going through 18, and there's so much in here. A fool has no delight in understanding but expresses his own heart. Well, that's when you open up your mouth and you start talking without even thinking what's what you're talking about. Um, words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles. They go down to the inmost body. Well, you can talk about tattlers right there. gives you a great place to talk about that. Uh, he who answers a matter before he hears it is folly and shame to him. Wow. You know what, Dad? I, I, I'm, a, I'm guilty of that. I'm Dad, and, and I'm, I didn't listen to you when you wanted to talk to me about such and such. I'm guilty of that one. Bingo. You're, you're walking through things. The first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes to examine him. These are just, you can just go right down the whole thing, and there, there's so much in there. A brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions like the bars of a castle. I mean, look, brother and sister, you guys have just hurt each other. I don't want to see that go on because that's going to be long term. And I've seen families where the father and the, where the two uh, daughter and uh, I'm sorry, two of the kids hate each other's guts and can't talk to each other. Is that what you want to see, kids? Where you never talk to them? They should be your best friend. You guys got to be best friends. Scripture takes you right to it. So this is a great way to uh, do it. Uh, who, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. I mean, that's a great verse to talk to your, hus- to your sons and your daughters. That's a good thing. God says it's good for these things and obtains favor from the Lord. So you, you can just take whatever day of the month it is and walk through it. And that's just a, a great place to get started. Say, you know what? Scripture answers stuff for us. There's so much in there. In fact, I'll give a plug for a book that we use. was really helpful, Proverbs for Parenting. This one has been really helpful for us. What it does is it takes all different um, uh, thoughts and processes. So here's a whole section about relationships and avoiding bad associations. And here's all the verses in Proverbs that talk about avoiding bad relationships. So you want to talk with your kids. You know, you, I know this is friends of yours. Let's, let's talk about making friends. Here's you know, 40 verses to look up, and it gives them the exact references in Proverbs. Busybodies, uh, cheating and stealing, evil planning, um, wickedness, goodness, as, the right, um, as well as uh, the, the negative ones here. What a great strength. Um, what a great resource to be able to just take something like this to talk through issues. And you, know, you might have this hidden where your kids don't see it in the back of your, your closet and say, oh, you know, I'm watching what you're doing. I'm going to take care of you in five minutes. I'm going to be right back. You run back to your closet. Okay, where's my verses? I want to look up here. I mean, do it. Make, it. make it hidden from them. But Proverbs for Parenting, forty nine ninety five. I have it available. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Should be able to find that. That was assembled by did that. Barbara Decker. Was uh, where that was from. That's been that was an invaluable tool to help me. I know. God and Scripture should be in every conversation, and they'll say, oh, "This is what Dad's about. This is what Mom's about." Um, let's look at the the following examples in this light. Uh, revenge. Yeah, you see, one kid is getting revenge on the other. They've done something, and they want it. They're mad, and they're going to take revenge. Well, Romans twelve seventeen. 
says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Well, right there, son, <laughs> we shouldn't be doing that. This is what God says. Second Peter 2, 23, when he was reviled, when Christ was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Just perfect. Great. That just takes care of revenge. We shouldn't do it. Right here, the Bible says it's wrong. You want to believe the Bible? Uh-huh. Well, let's read it and let's see what it says. Great place for that. Love of self, and this is a great one for teens. You see this in a lot of places. They want what they want to, for their own joy, for their own pleasure. Philippians 2, and Philippians is just replete with good stuff like this. So I'll take this over there. Uh, verse 1 through 4, I've said this a bunch of times, but I'll start through verse 1. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of us, each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And that just nails them to the wall right there. You know what? You're being selfish here. You're being prideful. Nah, you shouldn't be doing that. Here's what the Bible says. Walk right into that one. Uh, pride. Uh, Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Again, same, same area. Uh, as Christian parents, it's easy to have formed this into your teen for them to have pride. Um, that's not good. Uh, if you give them a keepable set of rules, they're going to be very prideful about it. I know I was as a kid. I had this set of rules, and I looked exactly the picture of a Christian, but, man, my heart was evil. And I could do terrible things and just look great on the outside and wear my suit to church when I was 12 years old. And I was a goody two-shoes, and I, I know it. It was, it was a fake. So uh, that's not good. I needed to, and uh, they need, or your kids need to learn humility. We're all sinners saved by grace. Another part of this pride and love of self, I know Steve has taught us well on uh, teaching the value of taking the blame for others. And, and I, I think it's been, it hit me really well how he does that regularly in front of us, in front of our elder meetings, in front of uh, different counseling sessions. You know, you know what? I'm, I'm sorry if I didn't explain that well enough. It's, it's my fault. I probably didn't lay down these rules clear enough for you. Let me repeat them again. And so he kind of took the blame as the one who did wrong here and gave, gave some grace, but saying, you know what? Who cares if it's whose fault it is? Let me take the fault if it's going to help build this person up in the Lord. They're going to see their sin and see an opportunity to, to change and, and giving them grace. So that's a real neat way to do that is uh, take, teach your kids the value of taking the blame. Sometimes they're with other kids doing things and something happens. You know what? So what if you take the blame for it? It may not hurt them if they see the heart issue of what they're trying to do. You know, you have to use discretion here. If it's, you know, somebody gets you know, busted for drugs or something like that, take the blame, oh, I sold it to them. No, that, that wouldn't be a good one <laughs> to do something like that. Um, fear is another one that, uh, that kids have. First um, John 4.18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. I mean, that's, we, our kids are fearful of a lot of things. We don't even recognize it sometimes. Take, that's one that you write on your refrigerator. I mean, you, you make sure they see that regularly. You write it on a little note and send it to school with them. Hey, just thinking about you today. Have a great day. First uh, John four eighteen. You know, because you know that they're struggling with some fears in different areas. Or Hebrews thirteen five. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know, if they're seeing what's going on, and Dad's lost his job, and and the car broke down, and we have all these things going on. Hebrews 13.5, just cling to that. You know, we know that God is watching over us. He'll take care of us. Be content with what you have. 
A part of that, too, is, is James 4.17. Our kids know that they shouldn't have fear, but they do. James 4.17 says, To him that knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So it's a point where fear becomes sin because you're not doing what you should be doing. Uh, desires. You know, kids have a lot of desires as their friends have things and, and do different things. James 4.1 just go through the whole second James is like the Proverbs of the New Testament. So, so live in James as well. What causes quarrels and fights among you? It basically goes and talks about it. it's your own lust that war in your members. You, you desire to have and you don't obtain because you don't ask. And you're asking of God because you're asking selfishly. And that's a great way to, to take them there in desires. Problems with the tongue? I mean, there's one you're going to deal with with teens. They say something sassy. And sometimes the attitude behind what they're saying, maybe not the words themselves, but you see the attitude behind it. Or... Uh, Lying, anything like that. I mean, James chapter 3, that just goes through wonderful explanations of, of the tongue. I was with uh, John Townsley this week talking, and he was saying how he used this with his kids. We had been working on some issues and uh, working with his kids on, on just walking through James chapter, uh, chapter 3 there and talking about the tongue. And it's, it's a, uh, like a fire that starts a little tiny fire, and it turns a whole forest on fire. Or it's like a... Um, uh, let's see the other examples. Uh, a rudder of a ship. And so he got out a, a ship. They didn't know what a rudder was. So we went online and found a ship. And look, this tiny little part back here, that's going to make this whole giant boat turn. And that's exactly what the tongue does. Or it's all the birds and beasts and animals in the, in the world, is what the Bible says in James 3. All of those can be tamed, but the tongue no man can tame. And this is great for kids to understand these things. And then it's like a, a, a fountain that's trying to give salt water and clear water at the same time. You can't drink out of that. It's all going to be salt water. You, your tongue is going to get messed up here. It's an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Great place to talk your, take your kids when their tongue is just not being graceful. So you, what you want to do there is examine the issues of the heart. And then the third step is to move to themes of redemption. Move to themes of redemption. That's where we want to get them to go. Uh, here's some, some passages for your mental concordance in this section. Uh, Hebrews 2, um, 10 to 18, where Jesus is sharing... Um, his sharing in our humanity. He is like us, been tempted in all different ways. It talks in there. That, that whole section is a great way to see that, that Christ is that redemption for us. Second Peter 1, 3 through 4, is through Christ we have, and his promises, uh, we will escape corruption. That's looking to the future. I think it's a great thing for, for teens, especially. They're starting to get a little bit older. Um, they seem to think that it's never going to, you know, they're never going to get old and they're never going to die. That's just the way, the way teens are. But getting them to look to the future of heaven is a, is a great place to start them early because they're, they're going to think long term. Hebrews four twelve for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what we want the word of God to do in them. And that God, they will see in their own heart, redemption. So we need to know the word of God. Is it dad's word? Is it mom's word? Or is it God's word that's making the rules in your family? And often it's, it's our own words. I said it, you believe it, that settles it. But by, they're in their te- by the time they're in their teen years, that ain't going to work. Because now they're bigger than you. <laughs> and they can walk away and whatever. They can try to move out. Uh, they can do those kinds of things that are going to be very hurtful to you long term. So we need to know God's word and apply God's word. It's going to show them that there's a hope for people like you and me through Christ. This displaces the authority from you to them, and ultimately that's what we want to do with our kids, is we want them to recognize that I am no longer 
accountable to God, uh, accountable to you. I am accountable to God. That's that's your job as parents. As they move from this little tiny infant that just came out of the womb to being 18, 20 in those years, we want them to recognize, okay, I'm now responsible to God. That's my, my responsibility. So that's the redemption part. Uh, fourth step is to pray with your children. Pray with them. Don't force your kids to pray. Okay, now it's your turn to pray. You need to pray to ask forgiveness. That doesn't work. Um, would you like to pray? You know, don't shame them in that process. Would you like to pray about this? You know, we've talked about this, what the Word of God says. Would you like to pray? Maybe they're not ready to pray sometimes. Their, their heart isn't at that point. Just don't shame them. Again, we're looking for their heart and it being heart-driven. Pray with them about the hope that they can have uh, through facing these trials and facing the issues of their heart issues. Um, that's what you need to walk them through. And if they're not ready to pray, you can teach through your prayers. You know, God, help my daughter to be learning who you are. Help her to see what's going on in, the, in her heart. Help her to see this issue that she needs to work on. Help Scripture to, to be live to her uh, in, as she goes to Sunday school, as she goes to Wednesday night studies, whatever those things are where, where they're going to be. And verbalize it to the Lord and to her. And that's really praying in an instructive way. Uh, John eleven forty one and 42, Jesus did this basically. Um, it says, and then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you, you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. There's Christ praying and praying to God and telling them that I'm praying this way because I want others to hear and see what I'm doing. And that's good for us to be instructive in our prayers. Yes, we're talking to God. God Almighty, but at the same time, we want to bring others along with us, especially dads. This is your job. You know, dads, we need to be the ones that bring this along. And they see, you know what, I am dependent on God. Wow, that's, that's really that's monumental for your kids to see that. It's not like dad's just got this ideas of what he wants, and, and he's just going to whip me every time I do anything bad and squish me like a cockroach. No, it's he is really trusting God. And, and pour your hearts out to God. It's great for them to see that, praying with your children. Fifth step is determining consequences. And with teens, it's going to be a little different. Uh, natural cons- consequences are those that are going to occur if, if there was no interference, nobody interferes. And, you know, they drive in the car and they are being foolish and they back into somebody and, and bent the bumper up and, and hurt somebody else's car. They're going to have to pay. And that costs money for them to fix these things, both the other people's car and your own. If they f- forget to pack a lunch, or they're lazy, they were up too late watching a movie or on the internet too late, and they were too tired in the morning, they didn't pack a lunch. Well, when they call you and say, I forgot to grab my lunch, and they, they call you, that's not bailing them out and bringing them a nice, hot, warm Arby sandwich. You know, it's, you know what? I think a stomach that's growling will tell you to pay more attention to what you're doing here. It'll help you to see those things that you need to care for yourself. Um, they're not being rewarded because of their foolish behavior where they stayed up, they chose to stay up late at night. Uh, a lost calculator, you know, they for some reason lost their calculator at school. And you guys, you know, if you homeschool, they, who knows what it is they do around home. They, if they've done something like that, you don't go out and buy them the brand newest, latest, coolest gadget that's going to help solve their thing, I mean, a backpack or whatever it is. Instead, no, they have to work for these things. You lost it. You forgot it. You've got to pay some consequences here. Otherwise, you're rewarding poor behavior. Um, then there's also consequences shaped by authority, and that's, that's you and other authority. Uh, authority determines the outcome that's called for to underscore the principle or the absolute in Scripture. You're not just doing it just because you're doing it. There's a, a principle that Scripture has, and that's the reason that you're having these uh, um, these consequences. You know, you did this, and here's the consequence that's going to happen here. Authority is going to underscore that. 
authorities don't have the right to shape consequences so that children never do that again, and, and you know that I mean this, and this is for your good. That's, that's not the idea that I'm going to punish you in this process, or you're never, ever going to get away with that. Man, kid, you're going to feel this pain so bad that you're never going to want No, that's not the idea of it. The idea is this rescue mission, remember? We're trying to bring them back in, saying, you know what, this is something where you're, you're, you're on the edge of the circle here in disobedience. You need to come back in here. And uh, they're going to get consequences, uh, really, that are not intended to establish my rights. It's not my rights that are being established on them. It's a learning process. Um, instead, they're what, it, what you brought about by your choices you have made. This is what you're getting. You've made some choices, and this is what you've brought about. Here's the consequences. It's teaching. You do this. This is what the result is. So it's a very simple thing. You've made an unwise choice is the words we use. Not you've made a bad choice. You were unwise. You could have made this choice, but you made this choice. You stayed up late at night um, texting your friends or watching YouTube videos instead of making your lunch, and so you made an unwise choice, and you're having a, a growling stomach today because of that. And then you also build them up in their wise choices. You know, when they, they, they choose to go to bed or they're, they're making their lunch at uh, 10 o'clock at night, say, that's really smart of you. I'm really glad to see that. I mean, my daughters do that right now. They go to work, and at night, before they go to bed, they make their lunch for the next day. I said, this is great, kids, that you're doing this. You're not racing in the morning and having to spend 8 bucks to go to um, In-N-Out Burger or a place like that. No, they save money, but they, and they've made very wise choices. Build them up when they do that. It's no longer that they're going to be saying, you won't believe what my mother's done to me now. Instead, it's they recognize their choices. This is the result of my choices, and I'm going to choose wisely next time. And you see the difference? Because kids will do that. I mean, they're going to talk to their friends about how terrible things are at their home if they don't understand why these things. Because it's, if you wean them on, it's all about you initially. Remember when we first started right there? It's if you make them the center of everything, now they understand properly how, where they fit into the family. The third type of consequences, biblical consequences, they must be reasonable and logical. Um, you shouldn't be extreme or excessive in the way you administer out of anger or frustration or maybe just a need to control them. Okay, that's it. I've had it. You're grounded for the next 14 months, you know, and they're 15 years old. That's not going to work. You're not going to be able to pull through on that one. But, I mean, that's sometimes what we do in our anger and our frustration. You know, I'm not going to let you speak to your friends for you know, whatever, two weeks, uh, who knows what it is. No, be, be wise here. Be logical in these uh, consequences. Hebrews 12.1, 12.11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And that's what we're trying to do, is uh, let them see that the discipline is there for a reason. It's not trying just to punish them. We, it's a rescue mission. If we're focused on teaching our children's hearts, we're not likely to give in to motivations for behaviorism. Remember, we were talking about the little kids, you know, the, the, in the shopping cart, and you want to keep them quiet, so you promise them a, a candy bar at the aisle when they leave. That's a behaviorism. You're getting their behavior to, to be a certain way because they're after something that's actually going to feed their gratification. If we're working on their hearts, teens as well, we're going to be much better at not having them just respond down here at the level of changing behavior. We're actually going to be changing the heart. That's what we're after. You want to connect the consequences of what's gone wrong. You know, that, that there's a cause and effect to this. You know, they go and bop their brother over the head with a baseball bat, and it's not going to be, okay, you've got to have a timeout in your room for two minutes. Oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to get four minutes next time if I bop him even harder. 
you know, they're, they're going to see there's a value to it that that didn't pay for and wasn't justified by the other. The punishment must fit the crime. Um, we also would look at the frequency of the offense. You know, if this is a regular thing that's going on, man, we would get harder and harder and harder in our consequences because they need to know that this. You, you don't understand. You're outside this circle here. You're, you're, you're here. I want to bring you back in, so I need to make this harsher. You really understand that you are not in God's will doing this and make it harder and harder on them. They recognize that, um, but not so overly hard. Um, if they normally aren't known as doing a certain thing, like getting out of their beds, let's just say, uh, and a younger child, a I don't know, seven-year-old or something like that, where they, they normally sleep all night and they're not getting out of bed, and all of a sudden they're getting out of the bed in the middle of the night. Well, you're not going to go back to a rule you made three years back and say, oh, you get out of bed, I'm going to whoop you. No, that's not. You, you give some grace and you understand what's the context behind what's going on there. What is that moment that caused them to do something they normally don't do? And, and that's the questions. That's asking, okay, what's going on? Again, seeking the heart. You may not need to give any consequences to get them get their heart to understand over to here. You, you need to understand what, what is it that's driving this. Ask those questions. And uh, that's where that appeal process comes in. Remember that from last week. Um, the whole process, if they're going to bring you new information, to sort of, you know, what, what's going on? Why are things different here? What, what's changed? Can you tell me why you've done this? Well, ask for new information. They can even appeal. Dad, I, I actually am doing this because of such and such. And uh, that can really help them with all authority. Also, you look at the overall behavior of the teen. You know, if they're characterized as following after Christ, you see them reading their Bible and really enjoying doing that in the mornings. You see uh, right respect on all different levels, and all of a sudden you see some aberrant behavior. Sometimes it may not need a major consequence to, you know, jolt them back into life. But you say, hey, what's, what is the foundation of this? And that's the conversation to say, what's going on in your heart? Because that's where it has to start with the teens. Uh, they're now at that level of relationship. Remember the graph I had here where it talked about um, age as they get older and your um, authority? And I started, we start off with a real strong authority. Authority is going down. And then you look at their trust in you or the relationship, and the relationship is increasing. That's what you want to do is you want to understand you're your intersecting that thing properly. And then eventually it's really your relationship that's going to be driving in the future, as those teens are now progressing, now they want to be your friend. They want to hear from you. Hey, Dad, I need some help on this issue. Can you help me? I've got a friend, and I'm trying to work through this issue with them. Uh, that's, that's a real joy when they get to that level. So look at their overall behavior. You may see something just that doesn't make sense on what's going on here. Um, good example, they're out past curfew. You know, you said, I, I need you home by 11 o'clock. Friday night, um, they're 17 years old or 16, 17 years old. They're still living in your house. I need you home by then. It makes sense to me. And all of a sudden, they come in at 10 after 11 some night. Well, we're going to have a conversation about this and say, hey, what's up with this? You know, why, why are we out late, and why didn't I get a phone call? And so you ask the questions. If they're regularly doing that, then you have to peel it back. So you know what? Next time you ask to go out, if it's in the next month or so, I'm, I'm just going to say no, you're not, because I can't trust you, as opposed to, you know, Dad, I, I was going to make it home at 11, but I had uh, um, a friend of mine, we were talking about the Lord sharing the gospel with him, and, you know, I, the time got away from me. My cell phone battery was dead. I couldn't call you and let you know. Well, I'm not going to whip him for being late 10 minutes for that. I'm not going to hurt him and say, oh, fantastic. That's neat. Now you, now you build that relationship. That's wisdom training. So how do you take that situation and say, nope, you're 11, 15, you're sinning, and you're going to pay the consequence. If you've built a relationship with them, they're going to know that, and they've built enough relationship, they're going to know that they have the ability to, you know what, I'm going to take that extra 10 minutes, even though my phone isn't working, because I can trust my dad, it's going to handle this right. So that's 
Great example there. Um, I want to talk about the sowing and reaping concept because this is something we see often in a lot of things we do. Uh, reaping is always more than immediate temporal consequences. That's not what we're after. It's just exactly what we get right then. We don't want to depend on consequences to alter a child's behavior. We're after the long-term reaping. Reaping process is the spiritual dimension to things here. Um, things that we normally wouldn't consider or, or acknowledge. Uh, one of these that we try to teach was delayed gratification versus instantaneous gratification. It's kind of fun to, to play this as a game with our teens where you, know, you, you offer them, you know what, I'll give you, um, we finish dinner, and I'll say something like, hey, you, you want to have a, uh, I'll give you a scoop of ice cream right now. We just finished dinner. We normally don't. A scoop of ice cream right now. Or if you wait till 9 o'clock, we'll go out to Dewar's. They can see the difference. Oh, I get instant right now, just one scoop. Or we can go out to Dewar's, which is so much nicer. You see that there's a different value structure there. Teach them to delay. And so you teach that in money training as well. You know, we can save our money now and long-term get something big. So we would talk about that. Going, Let's go on a vacation to Hawaii. <gasps> yeah, that's going to cost a bazillion dollars. Of course it is. But if we plan for this and we don't spend money on these things, we'll be able to do it. I'll sign up for that. Okay, we need to turn our lights off when we leave your room. We need to um, not go getting donuts every other Sunday. We, all the little things, we're going to do these things, delay our gratification because we want something big. Teaching that process for your kids is just gold to be able to do that. Um, in fact, this is a good, good time for me to talk about something else that I did um, for training on uh, just money management. I didn't put that in my notes here, but, but we want to train our kids how to handle money well. And it's been neat to watch them get their own homes. They've handled money very well. One of the tools I used early on was one day I took my paycheck from work and I actually cashed it in cold, hard cash. So I brought home you know, a stack of money. I, I purposefully had it in 20s and 5s and 10s and a couple hundreds in there. Back then there wasn't many of those. Um, but I brought back some money. I said, okay, kids, we're going to look at what our budget is. And then I said, well, let's, let's figure out what do we do. Dad's got his paycheck. What do, we, what do we spend this on? I said, well, first we give money to the Lord. So that's this amount of money. So we set that aside. This goes towards, towards church. We do that every Sunday. We, we know that, and so that immediately goes to the Lord. Okay, then what else do we have for expenses? And I let them talk about, well, we have a house with us. Yeah, I have a, uh, we have a mortgage payment. So this is two-week paycheck, so here's two weeks' worth of, of house payment. That goes out there. I'm watching the stack get a little bit smaller, but there's still a lot in there. There's all these 20s and 10s and a couple hundreds left still. And so, well, what about the lights? We like to have lights in our, yeah, well, you know what our last bill was? It was $158. Uh, well, that's a month, that'd be, that's like $55 or whatever the m- amount was, $45. Okay, let's take that out. And they're going, uh, well, you know what, let's save some money there. Maybe we can cut down on the lights. They're understanding every little process. Here's our dinner money. Here's our, our um, uh, going out for, for eating maybe once a, during the next two weeks. So we've brought it down. All of a sudden, there's just this little pile of money left. And then you say, okay, now you want shoes that are 100 and what dollars? How, how are we going to do that? Oh, that's okay. I can do without that, Dad. They get to understand now practically where the money goes. And they say, oh, there isn't money for us to do anything we want. Yeah, Dad makes a nice paycheck, but by the time you whittle it down, everything has to be spent on things wisely. So what you're teaching them is some management, how to understand and think ahead of time what things are for. And that worked really practical. I, I remember our kids, I think, still remember that, doing that in this big pile of money, which wasn't that much, but it was fun to watch that process. Did you give your kids allowances? Um, you know, I, we generally didn't because we would care for most of their needs. We would give them opportunities to earn money. 
above and beyond what it was expected for them to be a part of the family. So, you know, you've got to uh, put dishes away. You've got to take the trash out. You've got to vacuum to this week, whatever those chores were. And she said, Kathy had some really good chore charts, but we didn't give them allowances. We just didn't have that kind of money to do that. But we would give them opportunity. So they want to go to camp or they have some money they want to earn. We would try to give them ways to do that. Hey, you want to wash my car for five bucks? I, I need my car washed. So they would see those values. Um, we, we didn't have that much initially back in the, the younger years when the kids were that age. And we just never had to do that. They would go and work for other people sometimes and earn money over and above. But to be a part of our family wasn't just a normal expectation. Now, we would buy their shoes. We'd buy their clothes within reason. So they weren't having to do that until they got older. Then they would have to be doing that. So they would get odd jobs, and they wanted something above and beyond what mom and dad were providing they would go spend their own money and stuff. It's fun to watch the girls buy their own clothes. And, you know, I want high heel shoes. Well, dad's not paying for those, whatever it is. And maybe it's something special, like they're, um, well, not a prom or something like that. Okay, dad will pay for a new dress for you. We had a daddy-daughter dance um, back years back. And I'd take all four daughters with me, and they'd all get new clothes and new, new stuff or new stuff for Easter. So we would use those things and, and be wise about them. But I kind of... I better not let you guys know about this side of me. I would demonstrate the absurd by the absurd. So, like, for my birthday, I would take my daughters all out and get them new shoes for my birthday. And they, we still do those kind of things to this day, and they just love it, or buy them all earrings for my birthday. And so we call them party favors. So we just kind of did, did weird for my birthday party. they got to have some party favors. So does that help? Yeah. But I've, I've, we chose just not to give them set amounts of money intentionally. Um. Galatians 6, 7, 8. Be not deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. That's kind of where we take this, this process of sowing and reaping. First, we, relate, we reap in relationship with God. What we put into serving God and loving God and expressing that to Him, we're going to sow. And that's really the most important one for them to see. Your love for God needs to grow, and what you put into it is what you're going to get out of it. Um, God will give us so much more, and it was neat to demonstrate that to them in prayer, in other ways, to just, okay, let's just pray about this. You know, we don't know, kids, where what's going to come from, something we're looking for um, financially or whatever, and we just pray, okay, God, you cause this to happen, and we watch God move. I mean, that's the relationship to God as a reaping and sowing. It's been wonderful. We reap in habits for life. As they learn these disciplines on how to not go and get immediate gratification but delay it and to do work to cause an effect to get something out of it, um, that's where we train this little things of, of self-generated initiative where you just pick up some trash and you know, where you're walking across the parking lot and put in the trash can. God will use that in some way, and so they've learned how to do things where people say, man, I want to employ somebody like that. I'll, I'll, I want to hire that person. We reap in reputation. So, yeah, definitely, if you have a reputation of being a certain way, you're going to reap a reputation of that. Oh, that person, they know that. We reap in human relationships. You know, these relationships with other people, they want to be around you. They want to spend time with you if you've uh, properly gone and cared for them. We reap in terms of long-term usefulness in Christ's kingdom. I mean, if you've kept yourself from sin in, in many categories, it's amazing how God opens up channels to be able to serve. I don't, don't know why, but God chooses to use some people that he has gifted in those ways, and they have reaped wisely, and we reap for eternity. Obviously, that's a long-term value is what we're looking at. 
Um, there's a section in another book, Instruction, Instructing a Child's Heart. This is kind of like the next one for teens. And uh, if you're interested in more, that's got a, a lot of good stuff in there. Uh, there's a whole passage about this reaping and sowing in there. It's, it's not really for the you're reaping and sowing. You're not trying to do that to punish uh, failure, but to bring uh, to life things that would naturally come to the child, of just teaching and processes through this thing. If you try long speeches that try to strong arm your children with arguments, threats, warnings, and predictions, that's not going to change their heart. That's not the reaping that you're going to get. You're, you're going to reap back out of that. Hardened hearts is what you're going to reap. And uh, that's what I've said before, how you know if you just have, have sown a lot of seeds of weeds in their lives by not disciplining, by not giving instruction, by not making it about Christ, by not looking at their heart, by just dealing with behaviorism, you're going to reap out of that behavior that is going to be hard to handle, and then you're going to get a wayward child. Consequences do not serve as power plays to prove our role or power or strength or to put kids in their place for convenience, especially in teens. Uh, They're designed by God to display the reality of God's ultimate rule in the affairs of men and to extend mercy while there's still time for them to repent. That's what we're after. You know, kids, I want you to learn this because you're outside the circle of blessing. I want you to repent. I implore you to do that. The direction you're heading is wrong. I want to give you a couple do's and don'ts of building your kids into an adult relationship. And this is uh, from your book as well. Um, Would you treat any other adults the same way you treat your older teens? I mean, if, if those who have teens, I mean, sometimes we can be real brutal to them. And, you know, I, I wouldn't have treated my friends this way. Uh, you wait for the right time. You know, don't just jump on them immediately when they do something. Um, uh, would you do that with an adult friend? You have an adult friend who does something, and you think, man, that was stupid. You don't just jump on them immediately when you, they did something you questioned or you thought was wrong. You wait for the right moment, don't you? That's what you do with your kids as well. Give them that consideration. You have no biblical obligation to censure your child for everything they do that's irritating you because they'll do that. You know, that just irritates me. My my wife and I, we just had to catch ourselves sometimes. That's just an irritant to us. Maybe it's not sinful, but it's something that now is not the right time to deal with it. Deuteronomy 6 says let's deal with that in a time that might be a little better to to talk about that. Um, Make room for their differences in style and manner. My second son, Daniel, was very different than me, very quiet, but yet... Um, and he loved music that just was not my kind of music. And it's like, man, where is this kid going with this? It was Christian music, but it was alternative stuff. And so, okay, how am I going to handle this? And my wife didn't mind it. She grew up with a lot of that. I grew up with a very strict background. And so I learned to, to work through that. And I went with him to concerts. I went with him to halfway across the, uh, the nation to a concert one time with a friend of his. And uh, I learned how to work within that structure, to love him in that process and to understand him. And we've got a wonderful relationship now. Um, Dis, uh, develop sensitivity to uh, the timing of speaking with your kids. It, it may be inconvenient for you, but it's crucial for the, the relationship. You want to deal with broad themes with your, with your teens. Uh, in adult re- relationships, you don't nitpick on every little thing that you see them doing wrong. Um, rather, you look for broad themes and, and get them to respond. Try to understand their patterns and instead of just you reacting to every little thing that they're doing that you're, you want to get after. You're looking for the heart issues. So there might be some little things that are going on here, and you're not sure. Figure out what the heart issue is, and that's what you deal with, rather than, you know, I don't like the way you tie your shoes. You, you're putting your laces backwards. It's like, no, that's, that's not what we're after here. Allow room for disagreement. You need to do that with your teens. Uh, they don't need to be carbon copies of you to be godly. Uh, they can't be exactly like you. In adult relationships, it's possible to disagree with others and still remain friends, isn't it? So there is some place there. They don't need to agree with you on everything in order enough to respect you. 
Sometimes parents fail to distinguish between what's scriptural and what, resp- what reflects personal taste. A lot of times it's our personal taste on things, and you have to learn to work with that. Uh, things such as hairstyle, dress, music, um, it's possible to honestly disagree. Now, with girls and modesty and stuff like that, no, there's a place where, no, that's unacceptable. I will not let you go outside looking like that. Uh, you have to draw the line and, and draw in reins there sometimes, giving clear directions of what it is in the heart. You know, my, your daughter's you know, wearing a miniskirt out to go out to a party with some friends. You think, wait a minute, what's in the heart here that's driving that? It's peer acceptance. Why are you wanting to look like that for your peers? And so you need to have those conversations here. Don't waste your influence on things that don't matter. Sometimes these little things, you know, I, you know, green nail polish, bright green nail polish does not match what you're wearing. Who cares? It's not going to be, you know, a, a heart issue that you're dealing with at that point unless they're doing it specifically because you said don't do that uh, because it's mine. Um, uh, and this may mean that they do wear some bizarre outfits sometimes. What are you after? Is their heart? Where's that going? Fourthly, go beyond internalization. Uh, Don't just get your teens to think about themselves and what they're doing. Get them to go further. You want them to autonomously be pursuing Christ. That's what you're after here. To develop a Christian mind, they need to think biblically, so you need to put biblical ideas in there. And uh, part of that, we had them develop friendships with adults. That was a key issue. So they had good adults. We'd always have other adults over to our family and spend time with the kids with them, and they love interacting with with older people. Um, Discover and develop their particular ministry niche. It's great to point them in certain ministry. You know what? I think God's given you a gift of singing. Why don't you help out in junior high or high school? Do some of the singing. Offer to help in there or whatever area they might be able to do. And part of that is also determining a career where they can fulfill their God-given role. That's, that's important. Eventually, they're going to have their own family that they're going to identify with and their own family identity. How good of a wife will they be or how good of a husband will they be? These are the kind of questions you need to keep putting in front of them. Is this going to help you be a more godly wife when you get older? That's the dialogue. Lastly, number five, entrust your teen to God. Uh, at some time, the parenting task is going to come to an end. And you're going to be done with that process. We're no longer going to be the on-site shepherd. We talked about those different phases. God intended parenting to be temporary. You're still going to be mom. You're still going to be dad. But you won't be parenting them. Ted Tripp says, In the final analysis, you must entrust your children to God. How they turn out will depend on more than what you have done in providing shaping influences. It will depend on the nature of their Godward commitment. Ultimately, you leave them to God, knowing that you can entrust your children to the God who has dealt so graciously with you. You see, it gets back to your own heart and how God's dealt with you. Have you taken them to the cross? Have you offered for them an opportunity to understand who Christ is and how he can change their hearts in a way that that you can't? So that's ultimately what it's about. Well, I hope it gives you a chance to look at your own family where you're at and look at your whole worldview of of how this is all going to come together here. Um, Things like Sunday morning, is it a priority for your church, to, your family to be together? Um, is, are those times sharing the gospel or, or just talking around the table, is that important? Um, these are important things. Let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for uh, a chance to look at your word. And uh, I pray that these simple principles for teens would, uh, would be helpful to make uh, these parents in this room and myself more godly in, in our approach to you that we understand you, we understand your word better, and because of that, we apply it to our lives, and we encourage our our kids likewise. Um, Lord, you know where each one of us are at. You know our needs. You know the hurts. You know the fears. Uh, 
um, you know the joys and you know those areas where uh, each person in this room are, are struggling even now of, of thinking of these things and, and give them wisdom to rightly apply these and to discard the areas that, uh, that won't be helpful. Most of all, that you would get glory because of it. We pray this in your name.